you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Job. You may be seated. Uh, we're going to pick up in two kind of miserable chapters in the book of Job, chapter 6 and 7. And we're going to study these chapters. And I hope that as we're together today, that you're going to find yourself encouraged watching him go through this time period of seeing when pain does not stop. And the pain is not going to stop for Job, but we're going to see in his life his ability to do something that I hope every single person in this room has the ability to do. And that is when you are going through real suffering, that you find yourself turning to the God who understands your suffering and can offer you hope. Somebody shared this with me a couple of weeks ago, and I thought it shared it with you. Peanuts cartoon, so Charlie Brown sitting on the mound, he complains about the fact that he has had uh, someone hit nine home runs in a row, and then it starts off this great theological dialogue that happened. This was written many years ago, back in, um, many years back, but uh, Schroeder says this. Again, we're getting slaughtered again, Schroeder. I don't know what to do. Why? Do we have to suffer like this? Charlie Brown says to Schroeder, and Schroeder says back, man is born to trouble. And as the sparks fly upward, what? Charlie says, so he, and then Linus clarifies. He's quoting from the book of Job, Charlie Brown, seventh verse, fifth chapter. And then Lucy clarifies, um, as Schroeder says, actually the problem of suffering is a very profound one. And, and then Lucy cuts him off. And remember Lucy, uh, we've laughed about Lucy. Remember, she's the one who has the ball and then she pulls it away right before he goes to kick it, you know? Uh, and I hinted at the fact that this uh, kind of resembles Lucifer, what he likes to do with each one of us. So she says, if a person has bad luck, it's because he's done something wrong. That's what I always say. And Job's friends chimed in on that, actually. We've seen that. So um, that's what Job's friends told him, um, but I doubt if, and Sh as Schroeder's saying this, but then what about Job's wife? I don't think she gets enough credit, says Lucy. So Charlie Brown, now I love this in the middle on the mound. He's sitting there and he's stuck in the middle of this great theological debate. I think a person who never suffers never matures. Suffering is actually very important. Then Lucy says, who wants to suffer? Don't be ridiculous. But pain is a part of life and a person who speaks only of the patience of Job reveals that he knows very little of the book. Now that's the way I see it. You know, I don't have a ball team. I have a theological seminary. You know, I, I read this and I laugh. I smile. Um, but I also feel bad for the kid who's ready to hit another home run on Charlie Brown, right? You know, you know this book, as we've been studying it, is a complicated one. In fact, if we're honest with ourselves, this book hits something that every single person struggles with. And that is, we talk about the sovereignty of God. We talk about his capacity to be able to heal us, to meet our needs, to know our needs more than what we do. And yet, what we also recognize is in our lives, we still struggle, right? We have difficult circumstances. We lose what's precious to us. We, we have pain. And for some of us, what we have to recognize is that there are many things that are simple, straightforward things that we lean on when we struggle. We've talked about some of those. For some of us, when we suffer, what we choose to do is to lean on ourselves. I've got this. I'm going to be able to figure this out. I can handle the weight of my circumstances. And for some of us, we recognize quickly that we don't have the strength to do it. So, so we find ourselves leaning at times on our stuff. We've talked about that as, a, as a, we've gone through the book of Job, that things, as helpful as they are, are no substitute for God, right? That they still disappoint us. They let us down. They rust. Uh, they rust in Northeast Ohio, don't they? Things that are valuable to us 
rust and waste away. We can't take them with us. And so stuff is lousy. And, and last week we, we talked about this, that, that, that a natural place for many of us to, to turn to is to depend on other people. We, we, we reach out to other people and we ask them to bear the load with us. And while that is a good thing, again, it still has the potential of letting us down. I confess, I'm one of those people that have let other people down. And some of you in this room can relate to that, that trusting in people. But, but I want to encourage you this morning. I want, to, I want to bless you this morning as we study these chapters in Job, that there's one individual that you can trust in the midst of your suffering and is our Savior. And, and this morning, as we study God's word, I want to remind you of, of this simple truth that's found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says this, the Lord says this to every single person that's lived in this world. He says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. Hey, can you relate to weary and heavy laden? Anybody want to say that? I got it. And so, some of you raising your hands, right? I know what weary, I know what heavy laden looks like. We could use words like depression, discouragement, disappointment, frustration. Come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. And you know what his promise to us is? I will give you rest. But he, there's a catch. The catch is, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love this image. I bring it up all the time because it means so much to me. You know what he's saying to you? You know what he's saying to me in the midst of our struggles? I'm going to go through it with you. I, I haven't left you to try to figure this whole thing out. In fact, as we study these two chapters, Job's going to keep going, Why? In fact, in the book of Job, we see that question brought up 50 different times. Why? You and I have asked the question, God, why did this happen to me? Why is this happening to the people I love? Why is this happening? What's crazy about Job is we actually get the story, the other story, the rest of the story. And yet Job is a man who in his suffering is trying to figure out what he's going to put his trust in. And there's only one place that you can find hope in the midst of suffering. So the question that I ask you again is, and what do you trust when the pain does not seem to stop? And I just want to remind you of this truth over and over and over again. God's love for you, friend. God's love for you, student. God's love for you, parent. God's love for you, grandparent. God's love for you, shut-in that's in the nursing home. God's love for you is relentless, even when it doesn't feel like it. Isn't that a powerful truth? It's relentless, even when it doesn't feel like it. I warn you, the next pick here is a painful one. <laughs> this reminds me a little bit of like Home Alone. You guys know, those of you who've seen the movie, you know, they say the guys, you talk about relentless, the guys in Home Alone, they, they, somebody did the math, which is kind of weird, but they said they would have died like 23 times if they experienced all of those things that happened to them in Home Alone, right? Uh, that's kind of gross, isn't it? But this image is gross too. It's kind of hard to see, but, but the inevitability of suffering let's be honest, can feel relentless to us, right? Job's words, he said, they're, they're, it's coming from all different directions. He says, I can't even get a breath. We'll see this in the text today. He, he uses a phrase, we, we use the phrase, you know, I can't catch my breath, but he's gonna say, I can't even get the saliva in my mouth. I don't even, I can't even breathe. I can't move because it's so overwhelming. Suffering can be Relentless. In his own language, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn with me 
to Job chapter 6. We're going to pick up in verse 2. It's, he says this. He uses a word we don't use very often. Vexation. Totally vexed. He says, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash. You know, he's saying there, like you think of the sands of justice. You guys have seen, the, like, and, and what he's saying is it's just been totally and completely unfair. My, my circumstances have been terrible. You could take all the sand in the sea and you could put it on one side. And that's how unfair my life has been. And then he goes on to say, for the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the marrow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Not, not exactly feel good there, right? You know what he's saying? Like, like my life is so difficult. It's so heavy that I can't find joy in my life. I apologize, Jim. I'm going to ask you to kick back to the last slide. I love this quote from J. Sidlow Baxter. He says this, uh, and I think it, it's helpful for us to understand this, that it's possible for us to be people who are paralyzed by our pain. And J. Sidlow Baxter puts it this way. He says, this is the wail of a desolate soul crying out to God who could not be found from a self which could not be escaped and an anguish which could not be explained. I want us to understand that this is recorded in scripture on purpose. That it's helpful for you and I to stand back and to see a man who's suffering. And we don't just glory in his suffering. We don't say, hey, it stinks to be you, Job. But instead, what we understand is something powerful about repetitive suffering in our lives. Job is going to see some patterns in his life where he's going to decide, am I going to trust in the Lord or am I going to be somebody who trusts in my own circumstances and people and friends and, and all of those things? So he gets these, these, these things that hit him. And what happens in his life is he has the potential of going into shock. Have you ever been around someone who was injured in such a way that their body starts to shut down? It's not dying, but it's that their body shuts down. I, uh, one of my brothers was in an accident. I was with him, and we were waiting for the ambulance to come. And one of the things they said to us is, do not let him fall asleep. And what was happening was that his body, as he was bleeding, his body was starting to go into shock. Loss of oxygen, loss of blood. And, and I believe that for some of us, in the midst of suffering, it's kind of what we do. We kind of become numb to the world. That, that we retreat and we pull back in such a way that we, we surround ourselves, maybe a different image is, we surround ourselves with the Kevlar of life. And I'll just tell you, it's really hard to hug someone when you're wearing Kevlar, right? It's hard to connect together. So when we say that God designed for us to be people who are in community, understand living in community, what happens for Job is that he's a person who, in his suffering, he tried to reach out to his friends, and the response of his friends were deeply discouraging to him. He says this in verse 8. He goes on to say this, Oh, that I might have my request that God would fulfill my hope that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. Do you see how desperate this man is? He's saying, God, you've crushed me. Why don't you just finish the job? And in fact, the first time in the book of Job, he's going to actually blame God for his struggles. 
He's going to accuse God. This is your fault. Now, now remember, those of you who've been studying this book with me, is this God attacking Job? No. God is allowing suffering to take place, and it's a test in Job's life. And it's got a happy ending. That's what's incredible about it. But right now, Job can only see the suffering. He can only see the pain. Some of you are stuck there right now. We are surrounded by suffering, and you can't picture anything but suffering around you. And what Job finally gets to this point is he says, God, I just wish you'd cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exalt in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is, that is, what is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? And he describes me, am I like a rock or am I like bronze? Am I that strong? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? I've got no place to go. The problem with this is that you and I need to be with people even in the midst of suffering. We, we had a pair of apple trees growing up, and when there were two of them, they both produced fruit. They did what's called cross-pollination. It was a, it's a, an awesome thing that happens, and it leads to sweet fruit. When one of the trees died, the other tree didn't produce near as much fruit. And I think for some of us in this painful season, as we are callous, challenged, pushing, we push people away, and we find ourselves isolated, I, I think it's important for us to remember when the Lord says, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, that he wants us to be people who are not isolated, but instead depend on him. I think it's also important for us to remember that God is not ignorant of our suffering. When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, there was more work to be done, right? And so what he's saying here is, we're going to do this work together. I think it's important for us to remember that God is not ignorant of our suffering. He joins us in it, and he helps to carry the load. Second point this morning, um, first being suffering can be relentless. Sometimes there is a natural antidote. Um, there's not a natural antidote to life's pain. <laughs> we, we're looking around. We've tried. We've, we've done every treatment. We've tried to pursue those who can care for us, and yet we still suffer. But I have great news for you today. Sometimes natural antidotes aren't going to fix our suffering, but there is a supernatural antidote that the God of the universe knows our needs. He understands what we need. He cares about us. And in contrast with God's gracious hand in Job's life, Job's friends, Job's going to describe them kind of nastily here. He's going to describe them like a desert where you are looking for something to drink and all you get, even though there's melted snow and it should lead to streams and, and fresh cold water, what you get is just sand and dirt. This is the way Job puts it in um, chapter 6, verse 14. He says, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Um, Job directs his, directs his conversation to his friends now. He says, my brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as a torrential stream that passes away, which are dark with ice in which the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of, the, of Tima look, the, tra the travelers of Sheba hope. In other words, he's just saying, you're dry desert bed. You, you have nothing to offer me. My friends, in verse 20, they're ashamed because they're, they were confident. They came and they are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and you're afraid. 
I've said, make me a gift. Have I, have I said, make me a gift or from your wealth, offer a bribe for me? In other words, Job saying, I haven't asked you for help financially. I haven't depended upon you at this point. Uh, do, you, do you think that I, even though I've blessed you maybe in the past, I, I can't bless you now, but I haven't asked for your help. Verse 23, or deliver me from the adversary's hand or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. He's, he's being sarcastic here. He's, he's just saying to these guys, I, I, I haven't asked you for help and what you've given me is an accusation. Uh, we're using friends as an example of one of those things that can offer some assistance at times, but often they're a source of discouragement. You know, some of our natural remedies to deal with the inevitable pain that we're struggling with fall way short. You just think, I just think of over the past 20 years watching individuals suffering and especially going through times of crisis. Uh, isn't it funny that we use the term midlife crisis? I can't quite figure out what, we, what counts as midlife, but in a midlife crisis, historically, we hear people say they're going to go out and buy a new car, or they're going to get a new job or get a new spouse. These are terrible times to make life decisions in when you're in crisis, right? And so in the midst of crisis, people lean on things like drugs, alcohol, food, smoking, whatever it's going to be, spending, distracting, escaping, even in this case, leaning on friends, things that offer some kind of natural hope, but instead what it does is it just pushes the pain down one step down the line. It's fascinating to me to learn from Job's friends that they misunderstood, they were poor, um, they were poor assistants in this process. But one of the things that comes to the surface with these friends is this question of why. Why is he going through this? Why? And they want to put words in God's mouth. They want to help Job. But in that process, what it leads them to do is to beat around the bush. And Job says, stop it. Just tell me what's going on. Verse 25, he says, how forceful are upright words. But what does reprove from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now be pleased to look at me for I will not lie to your face. Please turn, let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Job cries out to his friends, I, I, know, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm trying to, to get this right. Please speak, speak truth and love. I want to remind you that ongoing suffering, Job's friends believed it was because of the fact that God had forsaken him. I want to remind you that ongoing suffering is not evidence of God's forsaking, but I want to remind you that he said to us, come to me. You can trust me. We can get through this together. I want to co-labor with you through the circumstances of life. You remember in that powerful verse in Matthew 11, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He wants to teach us what the next right steps are. This leads us to an incredible concept. Uh, uh, the third point this morning is that God is able to care for our deepest pains. 
And I love, I love how Warren Wearsby um, describes what God's doing in his compassionate process that as we're seeing the weaving of, Paul's li- or of Job's life come together, Job doesn't know the rest of the story. In fact, he's suffering in the midst of this time period. But, but, but Wearsby puts it like this, and I love this statement. He says, life is like a weaving, and only God can see the total pattern and when the work is finished. If you go to the Cleveland Museum of Art, you can see these, these amazing pieces of art that were tapestries that were done where individuals have woven strings on looms in such a way to create amazing pieces of artwork. And, and the artist would know what every string was doing to put together this masterpiece. But in the process, it would just look like string and yarn until it's completed. And Wearsby's point there is you and I, in the experiences of our life, we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know what the outcome's going to be. And in the midst of this deep pain that we experience, it doesn't mean that God has forsaken us. In fact, what we understand this to mean is that God is weaving his story in our lives. We started this morning quoting Philippians 1.6, be confident of this the very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not till it's finished that we will understand completely God's work in our lives. The third point this morning is God is able to care for our deepest pains. And we see the deepest pains manifest in Job's life. He says this in chapter 7, verse 1, has not man a hard service on earth? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand, like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like the hired hand who looks for his wages, so I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are appointed to me. It sounds like my kids when I try to talk them into weeding the garden, right? Like, come on now. Uh, Am I a hired hand? I'm suffering here. What are you doing to me? When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long, and I'm full of tossing till the dawn. You know what he's saying there? He's like, I long for the bed, and then when I get in bed, I can't even sleep. Some of you can relate to that. In the midst of his suffering, he says, my flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens and then breaks out afresh. I've read that a couple times during this series. You know, I think that Job here admits that, um, admits to God that he's kind of at the end of his rope. And I, and I want to just stop here and remind you something. Admitting to God that we're at the end of our rope is, is, is a really good thing. Uh, th- that's what it means to come to him when we're weary and heavy laden. It takes a certain humility to be able to say, all right, I, got, I can't do this on my own. I need to depend on you. We sing those, those, that song where we say, Lord, I need you. It's a desperate cry to the Lord to say, I trust you. Job goes on to say, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and they come to their end without hope. It's just a, a vapor. Remember that my life is a breath and my eye will never see good. Now, I want to pause here for a second. You know what's interesting about this, if you know the book of Job, if you've been studying this, is Job is dead wrong about what he's saying here. He doesn't know what he's talking about. What he's saying is, I feel like my best days are done. I I feel like everything's taken away. He's already said he's kind of ready to give up. But then here, he's going to describe all of these things. I'm not going to experience blessing again. My life is terrible. It's difficult. It's frustrating. He's in crisis. And, and you know what's great about it? Is that we get to know that there's a great part of his life that has yet to be lived. 
that the Lord is going to bless him abundantly. He's going to experience another. And so in the midst of the crisis, we can learn something from this. We can always feel like it's never going to change. But what's great about Job's life is all of these words that we're going to read next, they just show how wrong he was. He, look, look at his words. He's, he's depressed. He's discouraged. He's the, one person calls depression the dark side of the soul. He, he's just suffering right now. And so in his suffering, he, he kind of grumbles out that the eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. In other words, I, I'm dead. Might as well put me in the grave. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down into Sheol does not come up. A, a declaration of the grave being final. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Job's just wrong. So, so in verse 11, he says something, though, that is, is really kind of at the crux of this message today. And what I hope for each one of you is Job and his suffering is going to cry out to God. And, and for some of us, we need to learn that art. Lord, I need your help. I, I want to I trust you. I, I, I'm ready to give up. I'm discouraged. I'm frustrated. I'm just going to include you in my suffering. He returns no more to his house, nor does, the, does his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Some of us look at this and they say, that's hard. That's harsh, but I want to encourage you. God can handle it. He can handle us crying out to him. Job describes himself now in the chaos of life. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. When you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that I would not choose, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and you set your heart on him? That, those words uh, are fascinating. Verse 17, you remember King David said these, these words. He said, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, what is man that you're mindful of him? And in David's case, he's in awe of God. In Job's case, he's frustrated with God. But I want you to understand that Job is still crying out to God. And that's what we want to be people to do. What we want to do in our lives is be people who turn to the Lord. Verse 18, visit him every morning and test him at every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? I mentioned this earlier, proverbial expression, meaning just for a moment, will you give me a break? I don't, I don't even have a moment to take a breath is what he's saying. Verse 20, if I sin, what do I do to you? You watcher of mankind, you have made me, have you, you have made me your mark. Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? You, you know what's fascinating about this is Job's going to do that, or God's going to do this for Job. Uh, in, in a couple of weeks when we get past missions conference, we're going to look at one of Job's, the fourth friend that often gets forgotten and he's going to talk about God's forgiveness and God's grace in Job's life. And I think it's important to remember in this section, Job's just suffering and he's just wrong. And then it goes on to say, for shall I lie in the earth? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall be not. He's, he's almost at the end of his rope. But what's great about it is he's not. God is going to continue to sustain him. 
then at some point, God is going to restore him. Church, I want to remind you this morning, for those of us who placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we can anticipate healing, whether it is in this life or the next. We can anticipate restoration, whether it's in this life or the next. And, and I, I think it's important for us to watch in the midst of ongoing pain and suffering and discouragement. God wants us to have desperate dependence upon him. I love that phrase. It's a distinctive of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Desperate dependence upon God. I think it's helpful for us when we study these words that God knows our deepest struggles. He understands our hearts. He knows our limits, even when we do not. So Job is like, I'm done. I'm out. Ready to tap out. This is, this is it. And God was still there beside him, caring for him. And I think it's important. I hope this is getting through to you this morning, that God can handle our most desperate cries for help to him. He can handle it. In fact, I think it's important for us to remember that God is continuing to do a work in our lives. In Liberia, West Africa, I had the privilege of going to a rubber tree farm. It was really quite fascinating, a latex farm. And there's these rubber trees. This next picture is really, really an interesting one to me. That, that they had these trees, some of which that had lived over 100 years, that had these scars that were on them. And, and the scars, kind of like we tap trees uh, to get maple syrup or to make maple syrup. They, they, what, what I was taught when I was there, um, a man who was there that was a gardener there, he shared with me, he showed me his giant machete, and he showed me the process where they cut these tracks on the tree. And, and with each fresh cut, what happens is that this, this outflowing of latex pours down the tree. And, and he says, in the hands of a good gardener, a tree can be constantly fruitful. It can be productive. And I think Peter, who had a, a masterful understanding of suffering in First and Second Peter, he articulates it beautifully, that he understood something about trials and temptations and struggles. And here he's going to describe this in a way that reminds me that even in the midst of my suffering, that the gardener is good that the gardener understands what is happening inside my life. He wants me to be productive. And he says this, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You understand what he's saying there? That suffering is at times a test for us. To see how we're going to respond. And, and what we know about Job's life is that there was a test that he was going under. Satan said he's going to curse God and die. He's going to give up under his suffering. But the person who understands the suffering of Christ and who says, I'm going to trust Christ with my suffering can experience what, what he's talking about here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you not, do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's funny, we've been talking about suffering that's inexpressible. Like words are, are, are not even significant enough to understand the suffering that Job was going through. And then he says, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That, that encourages me this, this morning. So, so church, I want to ask you, a very personal question. Where are you putting your trust in right now in your life? We, we've looked at a few things that people put their trust in. It's, it can often be themselves. Um, uh, that didn't last too long for Job. It can be 
in um, the, the hands of others. Uh, those often let us down. It can be in our stuff that disappoints us, or it can be in a savior that says to us, come to me when you're suffering. Take your yoke, my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's close this out in prayer. Lord, we love you. And as I even express these words, I just think of moments in my life when uh, I was in the dark, like Job, that I looked at my circumstances and have said, they're bigger than me. They're, uh, and I've attempted to depend on people at times who have disappointed or let me down or discouraged me. And I, I thank you, Lord, for friends. I thank you for people who we can trust in. But, but I pray above all of that, Lord, that I thank you for the fact that you are a God who wants to co-labor with us, that wants to be the strength of the equation of our lives. And as I think about my own path ahead and not knowing what tomorrow is going to look like or even today, uh, Lord, I just publicly say, I need you. Lord, I need you. I, every hour, I need you. And, and Lord, as we sing these so this song together, I pray that that would be the cry of each of our hearts, that we accept that you have given us an invitation to co-labor with us through our suffering, not to accuse you of our suffering or to blame you or to be discouraged or to, as Job's wife said, curse God and die. But instead, Lord, I pray that we would find ourselves saying these words, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. We love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.